Hey guys, this is Ralph Macchio. Hey, what's up y'all? This is William Zabka. You're listening to Cobra Kai Companion, the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Cobra Kai Companion. And I am Peter. And I'm Tom. And we're back with another episode review. This is a special one, you guys. For the very first time, we have one of the cast members joining us. Yes, uh, none other than Homeless Lynn herself. Right, played by Susan Gallagher. Uh, so, you know, life gets in the way. These are all working people. And so, um, you know, as much as we wanted to put out these episode reviews for, for the listeners because, you know, the show is so bingeable, you're kind of like sitting there waiting for something to put out. We want to make sure that, you know, we got the right people on the show and uh, we want to continue giving you guys, you know, the good stuff. Absolutely. Uh, your patience is appreciated more than uh, words can say. Absolutely. Uh, but catching up with Susan, it was... Uh, it's always a joy to speak with her. She's, you know, she's very active in uh, on social media as well. You know, both you and I were friends with her on Facebook, so we get to see, you know, what she's up to. Um, so yeah, we've uh, we've been in contact with her, you know, ever since season one. Arguably, uh, one of our bigger supporters, uh, along with a uh, Vaz, I think. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. You know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we had her come on, talk about episode three, because, you know, Lynn makes an appearance in this one. And before we get into the episode, let me go ahead and read uh, briefly what this uh, episode was about. And just like the previous episodes, I have a brief summary of what this episode is about, provided by Amy S. So thank you, Amy, again, for uh, for writing this up. Uh, so episode Three, season two, Fire and Ice. Johnny discovers the internet and Daniel discovers targeted advertising. Hockey Miguel confront Johnny about Robbie, but he dismisses their concerns until a conversation with Chris inspires him to open up to Miguel about his past. Daniel's attempt to promote Miyagi-Do at the local Valley Fest is overshadowed by Cobra Kai's theatrics. And now we will bring in Susan Gallagher. So we'll just jump into it at this point. Uh, we've already introduced, uh, you know, our special guest, uh, Miss Susan Gallagher, returning to the show, uh, also returned in season two of Cobra Kai. Welcome, Susan. Thank you so much for having me. Now, we are going to be discussing episode three. This one is uh, titled Fire and Ice, directed by Michael Grossman. Um, now, Susan, this is, you know, the first time that uh, I think I can speak for Tom as well, where we've covered a TV show, uh, not only just a TV show, but a second season uh, where your character re returns. What is the process of, does the big three reach out to you, say, hey, we wrote you in season two? How, how do you guys go about finding out uh, that your character returns? Um, I think what basically happens is, you know, they're in touch, the big three are in touch with, Bajo, the casting director out of Atlanta for the local talent. And then Bajo contacts my agent, um, AMT, and Jason Lockhart. And then they sent me an email 
and um, said that they would like to have me return and, um, you know, have Lynn come back in season two. So it comes from my agent. Oh, that's very interesting that it has to go through that many channels just to say, yeah. hey, yeah. We, wrote, we wrote you back in. Right. It, you know, these shows provide a lot of job for the people of Atlanta. So, you know, we're grateful that we're shooting there. Oh, very interesting. Now, one thing that kind of blew my mind was when we were talking to uh, Josh Heald, uh, he said that there's very little improvisation on uh, on that set. I got to commend you as well as all the other actors. Uh, the delivery just seems like, I mean, just immediate. And I, I would have swore that half of your lines were just made up on the spot. So kudos <laughs> to you. Oh, man, it's so much fun. I mean, you know, she Lynn is just a riot. And I enjoy putting that skin on more than any character I have ever played <laughs> in my entire life. So, yeah, and they, the big three are, are just the creative geniuses. And you, you guys know this. Um, so the, the words on the page are like, you know, it's like my pleasure to try to bring some truth to those words because it's so well written and so funny. And, um, you know, it gives me a little something I can sink my teeth into. So it's a, it's just such a, a pleasure to, to be part of this whole series and, and to play such an interesting character. How much of the script did you get a, a chance to actually see? Did you just get like uh, the pages that contained your lines or did you get like the full uh, episode? I think, you know, once you're in it, I, I think I got the full episode. Um, but, you know, obviously I'm just going to focus on my little part and what's happened right before, um, you know, Johnny comes out of the Cobra Kai and sees Lynn and just kind of create that whole world, you know, a uh, um, beginning and middle at end and, you know, what's been going on. And, but with Lynn, you know, she's just kind of unpredictable and, um, it's almost like you never know what's going to come out of her mouth. And she just delights in, um, trying to give him a hard time and, um, getting up underneath his skin. So she, she really enjoys that kind of stuff. Everyone needs a hobby. <laughs> She just, you know, loves to give him a hard time, I think. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's the blonde hair, blue eyes. You know, it's a very pretty face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, in, in the very first episode of season one, I don't think it was a coincidence that the police showed up. You know, Lynn was in the background. I think she called the cops. <laughs> you think she's got a cell phone? I think so. I think she does. <laughs> but I'm wondering if there was... um. You know, any it was there wasn't like the fire department called in the first episode of season two, was there? I think it was just the sprinklers went off. I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if uh, Lynn saw any of that fighting. You know, I've seen so many theories about Lynn online this year, and I have not heard that one. That maybe Lynn called, but I love it. <laughs> I think it's great. <laughs> Speaking of cell phones. Um, because I, I, I'm very hard on myself. I always go back and, and I'm like, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? And, and in season one, in that episode where Lynn is approaching the two girls, Moon and the other girl when they're smoking weed or whatever, with the sign that says, give me money. Um, I looked at Moon's cell phone because Lynn doesn't have a cell phone and she's not really familiar with cell phones. And I kind of wish that I had 
you know, read something that was sort of shocking and I judged her. I thought that would have been so funny. <laughs> and had given her a look like, oh my God, you know, just some sort of judgmental uh, tone that I thought would have been hilarious. But anyway, speaking of cell phones, that's about as close as Lynn's gotten to a cell phone. I, I would love the idea of Lynn being able to work a functioning cell phone better than Johnny is. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Oh my gosh. I love that. Well, Lynn is definitely smarter than him and she knows it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, that's so funny. That would, that would be really funny. If, uh, okay. So when you, um, on the day of shooting, Lynn has like all these different belongings to sign. We saw from season one, are those all the same stuff from the first season or did they have to kind of remanufacture some of those, uh, some of her belongings? I, I think it's all the same stuff. It looks like the same stuff. Yeah. Same sign that Josh Hill wrote on. Yeah. I mean, in the same sleeping bag that I had the same um, little shopping cart buggy thing, you know, the props department, they do a great job. So I, I'm pretty sure it's the same stuff, same wardrobe, same, you know, same costumes. Except I had the slippers. I had never worn those before, and they were actually quite comfortable. <laughs> was it was it a warm day that day? Did you notice the slippers, guys? I did notice, yes. Yeah. They were filthy, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> they do a good job of making it look that way. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, I just love the joy that you have in the filth of <laughs> the slippers in general and the character. You know, I, I love that. <laughs> totally embraced it. <laughs> Those slippers were really comfortable, though. I could have worn those all day. They look like they were pretty comfortable. And, you know, if you're on your feet, I don't know if you're still spinning signs or anything like that, but you got to have something comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. She does. Did you um, get a chance to interact with, like, uh, Marty Cove or anything like that uh, off, well, when you, in between takes? I'll tell you a funny story. Um, I I did not actually meet Marty on that set. However, he was there because, you know, he's in that scene. And when Lynn says, I'm just trying to think and make sure I'm not saying anything to, to come back on me. Um, when, but you've seen it, so I can say it. When, when Lynn says, um, you taking me home with you, baby, uh-huh. to Johnny. Um, and he's like, you know, oh, you can never be so lucky or whatever it is he says. And Crease walks by. Crease looks at Lynn and says, "If he won't take you home, I will." <laughs> like, I mean, you know, it was, he, it, you know, it wasn't on there in the the scene or anything. But I thought that was funny. That's what I, I, I suddenly feel robbed. <laughs> <laughs> he just that was on the fly. He just came up with that. But I finally got to meet Marty Cove in Austin at the South by Southwest Film Festival. I was there um, with Queering that, you know, the remember the uh, web series That's that right. I'm in? Season we talked about. Yeah, we, we, um, we did season two, and um, um, we got into South By, and I was there in the episodic competition for that, and then realized that Cobra Kai was doing a private screening um, at South By. Like, you know, the, the same time I was going to be there, I was there for like, Three, three or four days, I think. And so I got to go and see the guys. And it was the first time I've ever been around any of the big three when I'm not in full hair and makeup and costume as Lynn. That's right. You you uh, auditioned uh, in costume, correct? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, I showed up in character. Um, but I, they've never seen me because even when I come just, you know, with no makeup and a hair and a ponytail or whatever, 
to set, I go immediately into hair and makeup. And those guys are busy working. You know, they're on set working, filming. So they don't even see me, you know, with a, a clean face. So they've never seen me that way. So it was it was a lot of fun. And I got to meet Marty Cove because he was there. And, oh, I just love him. He's great. He's a very nice man. Very, very nice. And I got to actually see Billy, um, which I had never seen him before when I'm not in costume. Um, so it, it was quite, it, it was wonderful to be with those guys and, you know, to be able to give them a hug or touch them, you know, because I don't touch them. <laughs> but, um, I was going to say on set, you might uh, smudge. And you do air hugs, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Air hands or you know, knuckles, whatever. I'm just picturing you, you know, physically embracing them on set and there's like a shadow of you left on them after you let go. I would never do that. She's so <laughs> They literally, you know, put dirt underneath my fingernails and I mean, filthy. I am filthy from head to toe. So um, I would I would not do that to them. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't do anybody. When you saw uh, Billy in Austin, did you ask him if uh, he was taking you home, baby? I did not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like you want me to show you show uh, show you my bits or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Appropriate. Oh, gosh. That was pretty good. Well, we'll definitely get to that scene. Um, Well, I I think that's all we have for now. I'm sure we'll have some more as we go um, go through this episode. Uh, So this is uh, very exciting. This is the very first time we have a cast member or anybody really joining us on an actual episode review. Oh, great. Well, I'm honored, guys. Yeah. Likewise. Now, um, the very beginning of this episode, uh, we have Johnny at a pawn shop. So we have Lyle returning, uh, who we saw in season one, and buys an old Dell laptop. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty old, right? Because it's thick and everything. I think uh, one of the um, programs was like 2010 Microsoft Excel or something. I I don't know, but it was definitely old. And I, I thought those guys did a great job. Well, I thought the best part about it is that once he finally figured out how to get online, he isn't going trying to figure out YouTube or he's not trying to figure out online banking. He immediately reverts to his inner 12-year-old and just looks up the most juvenile stuff imaginable. And I thought it was great. Oh, it's so Johnny, right? It is, yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah, he's never been on the internet before. He had to figure out what a Wi-Fi was. But mm-hmm. um, I, I, I want to credit Amy S. Uh, in our group. She made a comment, and um, forgive me, I kind of, you know, I misremember exactly what she put, but basically his searches were all pretty PG, PG-13. Like, nothing was raunchy or anything like that. I think the, the you know, we, we got hot babes and wet t-shirt contests, you know. <laughs> yeah. Pretty clean for his yeah. standards. <laughs> I was going to say. Uh, one of the things uh, I had a good chuckle about, Tom, I wonder if you did too, but he looked up like Iron Eagle, Bloodsport, and at one point he was looking at the IMDb trivia. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. The IMDb trivia? I don't remember that. Yeah, he was like laughing at some things, and it was right before, I think he was watching like a Chuck Norris clip. Um, but, I remember uh, Chuck Norris clip, you you just don't miss anything. Oh, it's it's one of those things. Our, our group, they dissect some of these scenes. They but do. yeah, they totally do. It's a lot of fun. It is. What do you guys think about the Miyagi-Do commercial? I thought it was actually fairly 
decent marketing on Daniel's part, but it was also maybe too much of a dig at Johnny. You know, I, I thought it was interesting from a, uh, you know, spread the word perspective, but I thought it was just kind of, you know, let leave well enough alone at this point, you know? That rivalry, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, it wouldn't be much of a show without it, but still, come on, guys. You're in your 40s. It's not subtle at all because he even included the, 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 the kick to the face in the commercial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, snake in the grass and all that. Not very subtle at all. But I, I just thought that Johnny's response to it was one of the best things I'd seen in ages. You know, <laughs> this righteous indignation that he doesn't really... I mean, he he's upset, but I don't think he really truly understands what he's upset about yet. Uh, the next scene, we got Hawk Moon Dimitri uh, playing volleyball at the beach. Uh, Dimitri has his shirt on. Maybe a little insecure about uh, the way he looks without a shirt? Oh, come on. As a chubby guy, I completely relate to that. But <laughs> more, more importantly, where did they get all this merch? You know, Cobra Kai beach towels, Cobra Kai t-shirts, volleyballs for Pete's sake. Yeah. What kind of budget does Johnny have for swag? <laughs> He's got a lot of new students. I guess. I guess. But dang. Is this uh, in any way a slight... I mean, I could be reaching. Is this a slight reference to maybe the volleyball scene in Top Gun? Oh. You know, I kind of wonder now. I mean, the only person wearing jeans uh, playing volleyball was Moon. And I don't know if we even really saw her play, but... This is where we also find out that Hawk does not appreciate that Dimitri is kind of using the Cobra Kai name, right? He says that, uh, uh, Dimitri says that he likes to gain without the pain. Yeah. Who can blame him? I mean, everybody's got to have an entourage. Yeah. Uh, Susan, what did you think about um, the dynamic between Hawk and Dimitri in this scene? You know, because I've got a son and I, I love all those kids. Um... You know, my heart goes out to both of them. Yeah. You know, Lynn would have a much tougher attitude towards them, especially Dimitri, you know, because he, he can be a little bit much. And, and Hawk, you know, he's had a lot to deal with and, and you know, he's still trying to find his way. So I, I don't know. I, I love both of them so much. And um, I was at, I was in Atlanta uh, for that red carpet event that the Cobra Kai moms put on a couple of weeks ago. And um, neither one of them were there, but Bert was there and a lot of the local cast. So, um, and I went up specifically to meet and be around some of those kids because they're just amazing and they work so hard. Yeah. 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 They really do. And um, Gianni himself had a much bigger role in season two than he did season one. Yeah, for sure. Miguel shows up and tells Hawk about Robbie being Johnny's son, but we also find out that Hawk's parents knows about Johnny's rap sheet. (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to do, right? Exactly. Do you think that the Applebee's incident is on that rap sheet? If not, you know, somebody's got some real good lawyers. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all are pulling me into all of this stuff. I have no idea. You asked John, John, Josh, or Hayden. (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think we assumed that he went to prison in season one because of that incident, too. So I do wonder. But uh, I, I think it's funny that Hawk, whatever it is on that rap sheet, Hawk thinks it's badass. Probably. <laughs> the next scene, we got Daniel and Amanda at the uh, LaRusso dealership. And Daniel is, I guess, in a bit of a in the doghouse because he made that commercial or spending a lot of money on that commercial. Now you're. I, I'm assuming that you've got a significant other, or at least have had a significant other in the past. Imagine. I mean, I thought that uh, Amanda was remarkably restrained at this stage. Uh, what? I mean, what? What are your thoughts on this? I mean, imagine your spouse comes in saying, "Hey, I just spent a couple grand on a hobby." Essentially, you know, would you be able to keep things as contained as she did? Well. I think it depends on, you know, how well is the dealership doing? I got the feeling that because he is not hands-on and he's not focused on the dealership, that she's concerned about that because she's picking up the slack. But is it a super successful dealership? If it is, then, um, you know, a few grand is not going to make or break them. I thought they said it was like a quarter of their marketing budget. Is that what she said? Yeah. Quarter of their marketing budget. Hmm. Well... I was going to say, Daniel's got a very understanding uh, wife that he should be amazingly grateful for. I don't think she seemed all that understanding. I, th- I thought she was pretty tough. And, you know, I was thinking, oh, gosh, you better lock it up, LaRusso. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I don't know if I'm just reading into something. I mean, you don't have to, like, yell and scream to, you know, you can just give your spouse a look. I mean. I know I could give mine a look and I wouldn't have to say a word and he would know exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think Amanda was giving him um, a lot of looks, actually, and he just kept on talking himself. You know, uh, he brings up that crease is back, so he's got to amp things up a little bit. Uh, she thinks it's a midlife crisis, though. Uh, but uh, kind of to what Tom is saying, I do think that she is probably holding back a little bit, but clearly she is not happy. But also Anoush, we, we get uh, Anoush sighting here. He comes to Daniel and says uh, that he saw the commercial. And not only that, he doesn't think that Daniel, uh, he doesn't agree with the cultural appropriation comment. But uh, I thought this is funny. Somebody calls him Daniel the racist. Oh, man, that's that's harsh. <laughs> it is. That's harsh. But I like some of the, um, I don't know what you call them, kind of like a, a bit of a, I don't know if it's a social commentary. commentary. almost. Yeah, 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 just the fact that Anoush is saying, oh, you know, it, uh, you, but you, you're getting a lot of likes, you're probably going to get a lot of students as well. The same could be said for like the Cobra Kai content that's also on YouTube. In what way? Oh, no, just like there's a lot of negativity out there as well, you know, but that goes for oh, anything, not specifically exactly. Cobra Kai. That's, but, that's um, the internet for you, though, I mean... Yeah, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that somebody like Abraham Lincoln or Gandhi, if uh, they had a blog, would have plenty of haters. Oh, sure. Did you ever watch the um, Wreck-It Ralph or uh, Ralph Breaks no, the Internet? No, no, not yet. He he discovers the, I guess, the comment section where there's a lot of negativity about his videos. So it's kind of like mm. that. Yeah, I but I like I like Ralph in this scene. I think he plays it really well. You know, reacting to the comments. You know about like. Oh, typical, you know, Asian music and things of that nature. Well, I I actually thought it was a a nice little commentary where, I mean, 
I, I think the people who said that said it out of a good place, but also kind of an ignorant place without realizing how steeped that uh, he is in that culture. Mm-hmm. The next scene, we're back at the dojo, and Aisha tells Miguel and Hawk about the uh, Daniels commercial and that uh, he disses Cobra Kai. And Johnny and Kreese are watching this as well. And Kreese says it's an act of war and requires immediate response. Now, what did you think uh, Kreese had in mind? Because I don't think a, a YouTube video was what he was thinking. Well, I think that Lynn, I can tell you what Lynn would think. She would think um, she'd be very leery of Kreese. <laughs> and um, she would, I think, have his number and think that he's probably up to a lot of no good kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Something tells me that she wouldn't uh, mince words with him or with Johnny in regards to him. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think um, whatever Chris had in mind, it, it, it wasn't good. Right. He even no. commented that he should have taken care of, you know, Miyagi back in the day. Yes, he did. Yeah. Like he, like he could. He, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, he, he tried. He tried. Exactly. He tried. Mm-hmm. Now, we get a brief scene of Sam and Robbie. Uh, they're training at Miyagi-Do, and Robbie thanks her pretty much for the help that she's given him. You know, basically, he's got uh, a roof over his head. He's got a jacuzzi, uh, you know, because his situation we saw in the last episode, he's without power, no milk for his cereal. Just a bad situation before, but now now he's uh, he's got a friend. Honestly, I thought, it, I mean, it just kind of shows that uh, all in all, I think everybody on this show, except for Crease, at least has an element of good to them. You know, some more than others, but I think at the end of the day, they're mostly all good people. No, well, I think they do. And I mean, Crease, you know, I mean, we, we don't know. I mean, he, everybody, I think, acts and reacts for a reason. And, mm-hmm. and you know, the history that he's had has obviously affected his mental state. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if I can level one criticism toward this season, I was really hoping that they were going to delve into Kreese's backstory this year just based on the backstory that Marty Cove came up with. Because, I mean, it it makes the character that much more human and almost relatable. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Shortly after this, two kids show up for the free lessons because they saw Daniel's commercial they aren't happy that they are being told that they're going to have to paint some fences. Uh, Susan, do you think that Daniel handled this correctly? Do you, I, I feel that he should have had something prepared for when people do show up instead of like, oh, hey, grab a paintbrush. Robbie will show you what to do. Hey, well, he obviously wasn't very prepared. So, I, yeah, I mean, you know, I think that his heart is in the right place as far as wanting to try to pass along what he was taught and um, how much that meant to him, you know, in his life. But he, you know, he's not the same guy and um, he's having to learn how to, you know, be, be the right teacher and to be that wonderful teacher that he had. So it's a learning curve for him, for his character, I think. But, you know, he's not done it before, right? So this exactly. is, you know, this is, this is new for him. It's um, new territory. So I think it's interesting to see that struggle of him, you know, just like Johnny. I mean, trying to open up the Cobra Kai and, um, you know, becoming, 
Miguel's teacher, and it's new to these guys. So I think yeah. this is what makes it interesting. One of the main takeaways that I t- got from this scene was I kind of feel justified because I went back and re-listened to that episode that we did on uh, my main show about uh, Cobra Kai. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying, okay, of course Daniel is going to be a car salesperson because, let's face it, he's he's slick. He's, you know, somebody that you, you got to keep your eye on. And I got jumped saying, oh, you can't say that about all car people. And what was the reaction from the students that walked out? They're oh. leery of car salespeople as well. So, That's ha. Right. Yeah. Uh, his mom said, uh, always got to read the fine, fine print. print. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so people gave you a hard time for saying that. My co host. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but instead, they decide to go check out the place with the snake. So we saw Daniel's commercial. Now we see Johnny shooting a commercial himself. Um, I don't know. Well, I guess you could put this on YouTube with, with language. I was just thinking, like, this isn't going to go on TV for sure. No, no. But, I mean, my favorite part of that was the whole, uh, what was it, uh, Thunderstruck he wanted in the background. <laughs> Thunderstruck, uh, make the you know, the, the Cobra Kai sign Chrome uh, as the, the end snake uh, of area episode. Yeah, and his logic was, you know, I can use that song. I've got the, the, the tape in my car. How does somebody get a tape deck in their brand new car in 2018? It's, I'm sure it's his from the 80s. <laughs> I thought that was just, that might be the most mind-blowing thing in the entire episode. The fact that somebody still has a tape deck. Susan, do you have something? No, I, I just, I mean, you know, I, it's just so Johnny that it, it is. It yeah. absolutely is. Well, not only that, I think this is what the big three had teased, you know, prior to the, the release of season two, that there's something that, you know, people are going to be repeating uh, for years to come, is Johnny tells Aisha to make sure that they put Hash Brown Team Cobra Kai or something like that and send it to the <laughs> internet. <laughs> It's our new favorite hashtag, right? It is, yeah. That and are you going to take me home, baby? <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, Matt Lewis, who plays Ron, he's been using that hash brown, uh, yeah. you know, on on Twitter quite often. It's pretty funny. Right, it is funny. Other people are using it too, not just Matt. Oh um, yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a great line. I'd like to know which of the three came up with that one. I think that was asked on Twitter. And, um, you know, John was just saying that things fly so quickly in the writer's room, they kind of forget who came up with what. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but um, I, I do like that, you know, it, it. he got that from Daniel's commercial. Because Daniel says, you know, reach them on Twitter, you know, uh, hashtag Team Miyagi-Do. Or maybe it was just hashtag Miyagi-Do. But that's where he got the idea and <laughs> misunderstood it as hash brown. <laughs> oh, it can go with his met with a meth and burrito, right? Yeah, yeah, the, the, exactly. <laughs> hash brown, meth, and hash burrito. Brown, meth and burrito. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, we see Miguel and Hawk. They talk to Johnny about Robbie. They they know who he is. Um, Miguel has seen a picture of Robbie on the fridge. And uh, Chris had been listening in at this moment. But um, Johnny is telling the boys that it's not what they think. 
that, you know, that's not, he's not running his dojo a certain way just because Robbie's his son. Now, as a fan, do you believe that? I mean, do you think that he genuinely thinks that, you know, there's a right way to win and a wrong way to win? Or do you think it was mainly because it was his son in the final? Well, it would be hard as a parent not to have those. Yeah, it's like an instinct to to protect your kid. Instinct, yeah. So it would be difficult not to really feel those emotions. But, you know, Johnny may believe it himself that it doesn't have anything to do with it. But um, deep down under that next level, how could it not, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I like this um, a lot. And I think it's just one of those things that maybe Johnny was caught red-handed and didn't really know how to respond. And that's just kind of what he told them. Yeah, it was kind of that awkward moment. Right. We get a brief scene of Amanda and Daniel at uh, the Valley, or setting up at Valley Fest. Uh, LaRusso Luxury Motors uh, sign in the background there. Uh, and she kind of inadvertently gives him the idea to put a demonstration on for Miyagi-Do. Not a bad idea, really. It isn't, but I just love the look on Courtney Hangler's face. You know, where she's like, oh, no, that was, I didn't really mean it. (laughs) (laughs) She really sold that look. Yeah. Uh, Now, we get the reintroduction of Lynn. The real star finally showed up. (laughs) Now... Right. The donut place is—is is that the convenience store, or is there a donut place we don't know about that was throwing away the fritters? There's a donut place that you don't know about, or at least that's uh-huh. my mind. It's around there. So now she's moved on from burritos to fritters. Well, I mean, no, she's not moved on. <laughs> it's earlier in the day. Yeah, <laughs> fritters is just at the moment. Here. A little pizza here. I mean, you know, and then she wanted dessert. <laughs> That's right. Okay. No, <laughs> She's not enough. an animal, sir. She eats these things in order. <laughs> uh, I like it. So it must be early in the day. But um, you mentioned your line earlier. You taking me home, baby. I just I love the look on on Johnny's face because what do I respond to that? And I don't know if he's even considering it for a hot second. I'm not sure. <laughs> but the look on his face. Funny, there, right? <laughs> there's definitely a hesitation on his part. That's pretty funny. Now, did, did they have you try out other lines for that scene? Or was it always on the page that way? Yeah, it was always on the page. But what I had done in the rehearsals is um, they had not brought me the donuts yet. So I w- we were just rehearsing the lines, and I guess, you know, Billy was working at his blocking or whatever because I'm just sitting there, so I don't have to worry about that. But um, I was actually, I guess I can tell this. I don't know why I couldn't, but um, <laughs> Lynn pulled up her skirt when she said, <laughs> um, you can take me home with you, baby. Because I didn't have the donuts at the time. And so I'm pulling out my skirt and then I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what if these cut off sweatpants is what uh, she had on underneath the skirt? What if there's like a big rip in the crotch? And I have no idea. And I'm over here pulling out my skirt for the whole crew and for, (laughs) you know, Billy. And so I'm having to like put my head down there and pull out my skirt and look and check and make sure. (laughs) But, you know, I'm not like flashing everybody, um, but there wasn't. Fortunately, they they were probably newer sweatpants, and they just made them look that way. Um, but then when I got 
the donut. I was because I just I hadn't envisioned like you know a regular kind of glazed Krispy Kreme donut. I didn't know. I mean, I thought it was going to be more cake like, and I was going to have crumbles coming down my face, and you know, you prepare and you try to come up with little ideas to put in your back pocket, and then if you can use them, great. If you can't, then you just you know come up with something in the moment. So you know, they, they weren't cake, obviously. So I wasn't going to be able to have crap coming down my face. <sighs> Yeah, messy. Um, the, so I thought, oh man, I'm gonna start spinning this thing on my finger, and I started to do it on both fingers, <laughs> and I just held back a little bit because the big three are inside looking at a monitor, so I can't go. Hey guys, is this too much, or do you, is is it too much spreading my legs and pulling up my skirt, or you know, because they're inside and the director is just kind of letting me do my thing. So I just did the one spin with the donut and. What I was doing is I was licking that donut. I'm just going to tell you right now. <laughs> Lynn, it wasn't me. Okay, let me rephrase it. Lynn, <laughs> Lynn made me do that. Um, <laughs> but they didn't use the licking, but they used the spinning part, and they, they used the line, and then they used my little cat call at the end when he's walking off, and I go, Row! and I even did like the cat claw at it. <laughs> It was so funny. I mean, it was just like, oh my gosh, this is, I can't believe they're paying me to do this. This is hilarious. I gotta admit, this this story is making me want more Lynn. I mean, the fact that you were putting this much thought and this much planning into it, a lesser actor would have just gone through their paces, read the line, and, you know, called it a day. But I, I applaud the fact that you're doing this much work and taking this much pride in the character's filth. I, hats off to you. passionate about it. It is my passion. I love, love, love it. No, that is, that is just great. Yeah, it was so funny. So I didn't really know because I was thinking you know, gosh, I can play this character any way they want. She doesn't have to be this sassy. She doesn't, she certainly doesn't have to be this provocative. She can, you know, she can be more the victim. She can be, you know, sweeter or, you know, more scared or whatever, you know, but so far they just have let me do whatever Lynn does. And, you know, I hope they like it. I think they do. You guys do. So I know. I, I, I'm just picturing Lynn getting a job on a construction set now. You know, throwing cat calls to every stray guy that's wandering too close to her. That would be actually a pretty good job for her now that I'm thinking about it. Lynn needs a little bit of love every now and again, doesn't yeah. she? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I I was so happy to see Lynn back. At, um, at, at about this point when I was binging the episode, it must have been, gosh, probably 2, 3 o'clock a.m. your time. Otherwise, I would have, you know, tweeted at you and said, hey, you know, yeah, but I also wanted to kind of be, you know, refrain from tweeting out any spoilers, you know, because I, I wanted that to be a surprise for other people, too. Yeah. But I was just so happy. I wanted to share that with somebody. But that's why we have the different threads in, in our group so people can just, you know, say what they want in there. That is so sweet for you to even think to reach out to me. <laughs> and I did I did have a lot of fans asking me over and over again if Lynn was going to be, you know, in season two. And, you know, you just can't say. So I'd be like, you know, fingers crossed that she lives another day, guys. Because I didn't know until I saw the big three um, you know, in Austin and one of them said, yeah, you know, we, you know, you did a good job. And I, so basically, you know, uh, that I, 
you know, made the cut because I wouldn't have any idea. They could have said, no, we don't have time to do that crazy woman. (laughs) No, no, the strip mall needs Lynn. It just wouldn't be the same. If I had a lot of the fans reach out to me and say that, that, you know, they really needed her comic relief because there was a lot of heavy stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. And, um, I, I think the the biggest surprise, well, the fact that Lynn showed up, the, that was a surprise in, in itself. But, uh, you know, when we did the mailbag episode, uh, Susan, I reached out to you and said, hey, did you have any questions to ask of us? And you, uh, you know, you asked something to the effect of like, you know, will Lynn be back in season two? I'm like, oh, no. Was that like a slight spoiler that she's telling me that she doesn't even know if Lynn will be back in season two? So I didn't expect to see Lynn at all. So when she showed up, I had a smile. Yeah. Biggest smile. Yeah. We love Sassy Lynn. Yeah. I'm so <laughs> I'm so glad. I really am, guys. <laughs> um, let's see here. Uh we got a scene of Kreese trying to manipulate Johnny as he does. And he mentions that uh Daniel's trying to train Robbie like his own kid. And uh but hey, you still got that Mexican, as he puts it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says that hopefully uh, Daniel doesn't take him too. Now, is this does this kind of get Johnny thinking? And th- is this what leads to him taking Miguel out to eat? It could because you know I thought he played it where um, you know he had a moment where he was somewhat protective of Miguel, and you know you could. I just I really thought that from that point on in particular that. Uh, Billy's performance, he really had a lot to sink his teeth into surrounding Miguel, and he played it beautifully. Because you saw a little tiny bit, you know, of the soul of Johnny, that he he does care for this kid, and he didn't appreciate, you know, Crease's Mexican remark, and, you know, got him thinking a little bit, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up, because... I kind of took it in a completely different way where he didn't feel like he thought he was going to lose Miguel. But I, I, I think the fact that he spoke up and corrected Crease on Miguel's nationality made him realize that, wait a second, I know this kid a lot more than I do just an average student. And maybe I owe him an explanation and a way to kind of show him where I'm coming from with all of this. Yeah, because Johnny gives this look. You know, that that he felt that he needed to address something with Miguel. And that's mm-hmm. why he went immediately, you know, he went directly to Miguel's apartment to take him out to eat. So yeah. we get one of my favorite scenes of both seasons right here. I don't know the name of the place. I call it Sal's just because Johnny references, you know, Sal makes this, you know, nice burger. And the secret is, you know, the chopped onions. Um but we get, you know, we find out some more exposition that across the street, or at least across the parking lot, is the hospital where Robbie is born. And this scene brought tears to my eyes. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, you're right. It might be the best scene in the entire series so far. I totally agree. I totally agree. And, and I think that Billy Zadka's performance was spot on. I mean, it was jaw dropping for me because, you know, you can, you can wire different emotions and thoughts or whatever in your brain 
as the actor and, and try to, you know, hopefully access those emotions when you are delivering the lines and you're in the scene. But for me, what he did is, you know, he had his, he was ob- obviously prepared because he's always prepared, but you, you know, you saw his humanity and you got to see a glimpse of that vulnerability, which is magic because it's real and it's authentic. And my hat is off to Billy Zabka for that scene. You know, I thought he, I just thought it was so authentic because yeah. of the vulnerability that he is the man and the character you know, it's like that creativity when you can almost just feel it in the air and um, almost touch it with your fingers. And it's, it's freaking magic. You know, when we allow ourselves to actually go there and there's a split second where it wasn't acting. It was just it was truth and reality and um, honesty. And it was it was very it was a very special moment. Yeah. I, I think it's great, you know, t- Tom and I, we often praise like the actors when, you know, there's a little bit of the, the physical acting too, those s- sudden movements of something. Uh, when Johnny is telling this backstory of him failing his son, Miguel is like, look, sensei, this is personal. You don't have to tell me. Billy puts up his hand like, no, like he doesn't say these words, but his his hand gesture is like, no, you need to hear this because of what I'm going to tell you. And then he tells him that, you know, he failed Robbie since day one, but the best thing to him now is teaching Miguel karate. Uh, honestly, the the thing that I just kind of took away from this is just how effectively he was able to communicate just through facial gestures and body language Things that weren't said. I mean, he had he was running the gamut from disappointment to sorrow to regret to just wanting another chance but not knowing how to approach it. And none of that was in the text. That was all something that he conveyed. I, 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 I can't praise this enough. Yeah, me too. And guilt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is one of the best lines um, in, in the show as well, that, you know, he wanted to reassure Miguel that he'll always be by his side, you know, and also have his best interest at heart. Right. He'll always have his back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom, you were going to say something? I, I don't know if it's going to be a spoiler, but I was wondering if maybe that was a bit of foreshadowing, uh, considering the events of that right. last episode. Exactly. Yeah. I think you're right on. I think it's foreshadowing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Aisha sends Miguel a text that Miyaki Do is going to have a demonstration at Valley Fest, which gives uh, Johnny kind of a light bulb moment here. Yeah. Uh, and I think, other than the diner scene, I think that might have been my favorite moment of the entire episode. Uh, you were mentioning, Peter, how the volleyball scene may have been a reference to the, what was it, Top Gun, you said? Mm-hmm. I think that th- uh, what Johnny did is taken directly out of Revenge of the Nerds. Which part? You, the very end. Remember where they were, had to have that presentation and the jocks had a passable ah, presentation? Yes, yes, yes. And then yes, all I of remember. a sudden... They you hear loud music. Yeah, you hear loud music. You hear a lot of commotion going from the opposite direction from where the jocks wanted the attention pointed at, and the nerds come out and just blow everybody else off a of stage. I I'm kind of 
I'm kind of thinking that they took a lot of inspiration from that. I, I think you're right. I think you're onto something there, Tom. Um, so what do we think about the, the Miyagi Do's demonstration here? Uh, we get, you know, the sheets of ice, um, you know, a little flashback to the Karate Kid Part 2. Uh, and Daniel actually working with the bow staff, which I don't think we've actually really seen him do yet. No, no. Um, personally, my takeaway is that Johnny could have been a, either a hell of a salesperson or maybe missed his calling in show business because he sold his product very well, you know, and to do that to somebody who makes their living selling things, I, I thought that was really impressive. Well, Lynn was would be totally impressed because uh, she didn't realize that Johnny had that in him. <laughs> she was <laughs> totally impressed that he could take the initiative to, you know, to get that, that job done as well. Yeah. So kudos, right? Yeah, yeah. A, a, a lot went into it, right? I mean, think about like the, there's one point, there's a Cobra Kai banner that drapes over the Valley Fest banner that's on stage. Um, you had to have Crease go to the guys that, that are working the boards and said, more sparks, you know, and, and all of these things. A lot of thought went into it, just a little bit of time that they had. It was great. There was one part uh, when they released the very first teaser, and we saw a glimpse of this uh, this evening here. Um, I remember that there was a moment where Dimitri is holding like the two broken boards. What we didn't see until this episode is how Hawk picks him up on, on you know and brings him up on stage. He, he lifts him uh, by the back of his shirt, you know, like kind of like a I don't know, like a like a cat would pick up another cat from the back or something. Oh, he was definitely exerting dominance over him. That's for sure. Yeah, it it, it was definitely uh, something that I picked up on this uh, this rewatch uh, of just how he treats Dimitri. But yeah, they have a lot of swag that they throw out. Very different than the Miyagi Do demonstration, which was a little bit more serene. You know, not a lot, not very flashy. Right, and and the other kids love that cool swag. They exactly, do. he knew how to target his audience very well. I mean. Honestly, if I were in that crowd and I had a choice between Miyagi-Do or Cobra Kai, I'd probably go for Cobra Kai. I agree, um, just because I I would have loved to have Daniel break the, the six sheets of ice. You know, we all remember that from part two. Mm-hmm. But to see Johnny break like five cinder blocks that are lit on fire, that's pretty it's pretty impressive. badass. It is. So there, there's the fire versus ice there, uh, something that uh, Brianna has pointed out before. And then we see, you know, the, uh, the sheets of ice kind of melting as the episode closes with the uh, end snake. Yeah. So all in all, I, I, I thought it was just a really great, I mean, it, it did a great job of moving the, uh, the story along, but I love the fact that they were able to take their time and have some genuine character moments all around. Yeah, I thought it was so well done. Mm-hmm. The the really surprising thing for me, Tom, was that this episode was twenty three minutes. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, so well in, paced. Well, not only that, but it was dense. But it didn't feel like you had to go back and rewatch things to catch things that you missed. Not at all, and I don't think this was intentional. But uh, I believe. 
Uh, episode three of season one, Escaletto was also like 22, 23 minutes. Also didn't seem like, you know, it was meandering or anything like that. So no. it's just kind of coincidental that, you know, both episode threes are, are, you know, one of the shorter ones in length. Now, before we let Susan go, there are two things I want to touch upon. One, uh, I, I literally just came up with, and Peter, if you want to go ahead and edit this out, you can, but I'm assuming that season three isn't even written, let alone, you know, a, a script in your hands. So this is not obviously going to be spoilers for season three, but do you have any pet theories as far as what we can expect, you know, or better yet, what do you want to see in season three besides obviously more Lynn, because let's face it, we got to have more Lynn. Yes. Well, I, I think that's all I'm going to say is I'm just going to agree with you and say we need to have more <laughs> Lynn. But I do think that they're, you know, they're busy writing season three and they have been. So oh, I, yeah. They're working away. Oh, yeah. I, I have to admit the time between the debut of the season and what was it, two weeks before they announced the season three? I was kind of wringing my hands a little bit, but I'm I'm relieved that we are getting that third season. I, I don't think there was any doubt. Um, you know, I, I think it might have came a little bit later than most people anticipated. But uh, again, just the way things ended uh, with season two, there was no way they were not coming back for season three, at the very least. Yeah. But Susan, we want to thank you so much for uh, for returning and spending the time to uh, talk about this episode do you have anything that you're working on or that is coming out soon that listeners can check out? Uh, I, I know we talked about season two of uh, Queering, uh, which I, I, I haven't finished it yet. This uh, this season is definitely longer than the first one. Uh, I believe season two is a, about a little over an hour, if I'm not mistaken. Right. You can find Queering on YouTube. And um, we're hoping to start shooting season three soon. And um, I'm really proud of of it, and I, I think the finale is is just great. So you gotta you gotta finish season two of Query. Oh yeah, yeah. I've, I've been busy. I just found out today that um, I shot the pilot for an NBC show called Bluff City Law that's shooting in Memphis, and we just found out that NBC has picked it up. So woo-hoo. oh, congratulations! Oh, yeah, congratulations. That's you. massive, Mrs. Davis. And then um, I've. I'm in a film that's coming out called Walk Away Joe. I don't know if I had shot that last yet, last time we spoke, but I play the ex-wife of um, Joe Lee, who is played by David Strathairn, and and the the film also stars Jeffrey Dean Morgan from The Walking Dead. So that oh. should be coming out soon. And um, you know, check me out on IMDb and follow me because um, I do. I've got quite a few things coming out and. Um, um, I've got a film that's on the festival circuit right now, a short film called Doorstep, which is doing really well. And, um, it's just a heart wrenching, uh, indie film that, uh, is inspired by the Me Too movement. And I'm also producing, um, a short film called Portrait of a Woman at Dawn that's doing really well on the circuit market that is, um, inspired by the Me Too movement. So, uh, Her Little Red Productions has quite a few things going on. Uh, but we don't have time to go into them all. So you guys can follow me and I appreciate the support and Peter and Tom, you guys are always so supportive and um, just so nice. And, and I appreciate it more, more than, you know. Oh, well, I mean, I'm just glad to hear that you've got all these things coming out and it seems to be paying off because obviously you put a lot of thought 
a, a lot of effort into your craft. So it's always good to see when the good guys win one. You know, so yeah. so good for you. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, and your production company too. Congratulations. Appreciate that. And that concludes our review of Fire and Ice with Susan Gallagher. I want to thank her so much for coming on the show. Possibly one of the coolest people that we've had on here. I mean, just a joy to talk with. Yeah, and how, what about the stuff that she said about, like, uh, you know, Mar- Marty Cove, you know, uh, w- w- when he was in character with Crease, saying that little line at the end there. I love that stuff. You know, the stuff that doesn't make it uh, on Exactly. On t- yeah, exactly. Yeah. The behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, her her f- flip-flops, her sandals, you know, very comfortable. <laughs> uh, I did <laughs> Well, know, it's I important, mean, you know? It, it was something that I noticed, but it's not that because I remembered what she wore, like, in season one. I just noticed she was wearing flip-flops, and it just made me think, like, did she have those in the first season? It was just one of those things, you know, just a little detail that I was just trying to remember if there were any differences of Lynn since we've seen her. It, it would have been funny if she was wearing like brand new pumps for no reason at all. <laughs> <laughs> There's a story there, sir. Sure, sure. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun. You know, we're happy here that she's got so much going on for her. And she only just told us like a few things that she's working on. But just going over the IMDb, she's got... Pff, Gosh, almost like 10 things listed here that's either completed or in post-production. So she is a busy lady. Yeah. Uh, just on that basis alone, I, I can't thank her enough for taking the time to just sit down and talk with just one of her projects. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I loved her insight uh, into uh, these characters as well, you know. Um, it's just interesting because she is part of the show, but also got to review it with us as a as a fan too, um, yeah. and obviously you know she has a background in directing and all that stuff. So we also get to kind of hear the thoughts of a you know a director and all that stuff as well. Absolutely, yeah, uh, and just just her entire thought process for I, I, again I, I said it in the, the main part of the show, a lesser actor would have just gone through, read their lines, called it a day. She is putting so much effort into all of her work, but, you know, this character in particular, I mean, she is, she deserves any credit that she gets and more. Mm-hmm. She really does. Um, just works so hard and, you know, like you've, you've said it all. She puts in so much effort into creating the, just the, the little details of her characters, you know, to make this more of a lively person. Yeah. But I love the little cat call. <laughs> you know, you take me home, baby. I love that. I love that. Uh, so anyone that has, uh, you know, missed her interview with us uh, in season one, I will include a link in the show notes so that way you guys can check that out. Or you could just go into our feed and just scroll until you see Susan Gallagher. Um, but I will put it in the show notes for those that know how to access that. Absolutely. Uh, heck, go back and listen to them all, folks. There's a lot in there. There's a lot in there, absolutely. Now we've reached the point in the episode where we are now having Brianna come in to do the Easter eggs. Let me tell you about my first girlfriend. Hello. So, hello, Brianna. Thanks for joining in on the Easter eggs again. Well, I mean, this is your segment. I it needs a it needs a name. 
It needs a name. Um, We're still looking for those suggestions. Yeah, no one has made any yet, and I suck at titles, so... <laughs> so do I, clearly. We're calling it Brianna's Easter Eggs. There we go. Yeah, your first option was definitely a no-go, so... No, no. If you want to know what it is, go back and listen to the first episode, or go back and listen to it if you missed it. Um, right. But we're not going to do that one, the... No. Yeah, unless we go KKC, I guess. But but anyway, <laughs> yes, we're going to talk about fire and ice Easter eggs today. So uh, let's see what you got. And we'll see if there's any um, duplicates or, uh, yeah, let's see if there's any duplicates. Okay. Um, well, first of all, with the title, Fire and Ice, um, as soon as that popped up on the screen in front of me when I was watching it that night, I actually screamed like a five-year-old. Because uh, when we did the trailer analysis, I had said that, you know, with Johnny breaking the bricks, that Daniel had to break the ice because then they would literally be fire and ice. And that ended up being the episode title. So I got some, um, what, what would the word be, vindication out of that, yeah, I guess. I yeah. was right about something in that in that particular analysis. Didn't I'd happen that, very yeah. often. Vindication is a great word. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so um, we start out with Johnny, of course, uh, doing his discovery of the internet. He reminds me of every 11-year-old boy everywhere, <laughs> uh, the look on their face. And I've, I've raised enough 11-year-old boys. Uh, the look on their face when they realize that they can see boobs on the internet, complete with the looking over his shoulder to make sure no one's watching. And I just thought that was adorable. Um. He is using a search engine called searchsees.com. I'm searchsees, like back, gozy backsies and, you know, goofy thing like that. And I actually typed that in just to see where you go. And if you type in searchsees.com, you go to a page cannot be found on Sony's website. Interesting. Which I thought was very cool. That means they actually registered that domain expecting people to do what I just did because we're all giant nerds, um, but they never put anything there. And then he's looking for hot babes and wet t-shirt contests and all of this, and he gets to the stuff for Bloodsport. Um, everything on that page, I couldn't find one page that has all of those facts listed. It's like a combination of the wiki and the IMDB trivia and a bunch of those goofy 10 things no one knows about blood sport that of course are 10 things everyone knows about blood sport (laughs) um and one of the lines at the very bottom that you see that kind of caught my attention this was the reason i went looking this up is it says that all of the actors had backgrounds in either martial arts or dance and that is actually true that's a line you know uh, almost directly from one of those top 10 lists the same is almost kind of true about the original cast of The Karate Kid, where we had, you know, uh, Ron Thomas, who had the background in martial arts, and Ralph Macchio was a dancer um, and had a background in dance from when he was younger. So that one just kind of, I don't think it was intentional at all, like I said, because that's actually a trivia thing about Bloodsport, but I thought it was neat that they lined up that way. Yeah, and shout out to uh, Ron Thomas. You know, anybody got nostalgic during episode six of season two? Everyone who didn't (laughs) get nostalgic during episode six. So we did an interview with one uh, Sensei Ron Thomas, a.k.a. Bobby Brown. So go back and check that episode out if you guys missed it. It was a lot of fun. 
Um, and continuing on with, with Johnny's internet searches, I've got them all written down here. I don't think they're in the particular order that he gets to them. He looks up Iron Eagle. And at one point, he's, you know, looking at the movie poster. Uh, something that I have always thought, and uh, a few months ago, I had asked John Hurwitz in the Q&A, whose idea was it for Johnny to be so obsessed with Iron Eagle? Was it his or was it theirs? And they said it was theirs and they had always intended, you know, which fantastic because it absolutely fits with Johnny's characterization. But there's always this little part of me in the back of my mind going, yes, but Stan Zabka was a director on that movie. And I don't know that I believe that that was absolutely unintentional. Right. Or that, you know, Billy wouldn't have at least mentioned, oh, that's my dad's movie. <laughs> um, also on the movie poster, Larry B. Scott's name is visible, uh, which is an Easter egg of sorts. Again, whether or not it was intentional, he played Jerry Robertson in right. the first Karate Kid movie. And you can see his name on the poster if you zoom in. Um, the new Coke... The, the new Coke line on the um, the actual truth.info made me laugh because I remember the new Coke fiasco as it was happening because my mother was a huge, huge, huge Coke drinker. And I remember her outrage over new Coke. So that was that one made me laugh. Uh, the actual truth.info, which is the <laughs> URL of that website, that goes to the Cobra Kai page on Sony's website. Nice. And then we get to the YouTube stuff uh, when he's he's hanging out on YouTube. First of all, he should be very reassured that nunchucks are now on sale because what they were being charged for in the magazine last season was outrageous. Um, and then we've got the All-American Karate and the Top Ten Spin Kicks, the two videos that we see him watching in addition to the Chuck Norris movie. These were both posted by a user that does not exist on YouTube because I looked to see if this is a real person. They are posted by Karate Kid 18. Hmm, interesting. Um, very small, very, very small, just made me think of it. Daniel is kneeling down very serenely talking about the free karate that he is going to teach everyone. And in Karate Kid 3, we had a very irate Terry getting up from a kneeling position, screaming about the free karate that he was going to teach everyone in the valley. Uh, for some reason, Johnny is looking at a sales tax report for the state of New York. It's sitting on his desk right next to the computer. I have no idea why, other than they needed a piece of paper and that was probably hanging around somewhere. Uh, then we go to the boys at the beach um, and the girls walk up and uh, first of all, uh, everything Eli owns apparently has Cobra Kai on it somewhere. He's got a Cobra Kai volleyball. He's got a Cobra Kai cell phone case. He's got like every shirt he wears is Cobra Kai. His swim trunks have snakes and skeletons all over them. Uh, so just about everything he wears. And I want half of this merchandise. I mean, <laughs> I want a bright orange volleyball with the, you know, snake on the side. I want it all. Absolutely. I want it all. I want the beach towels. I, I want everything. Um, and when Dimitri's talking, he, ta he, ca he calls the All Valley the Rumble in Reseda. And I have only ever seen that called that one time. And it was on a fan art poster that someone made 
uh, first time I saw that poster was about three or four years ago, I think, if I'm remembering time right. I'm getting old, so I lose track of time very quickly. But I thought that was neat to call it the the Rumble in Reseda, um, mainly because I didn't think State University was in Reseda, but I guess it is now. Hmm. Um, Hawk does mention to um, Miguel that his parents found Johnny's rap sheet online. So Eli at least knows what happened at Applebee's. Don't know if anyone else does yet. Do we know that it's Applebee's or we're we just assuming because we know that from season one? Yeah. That, well, I mean, I sh- I'm sh- <laughs> this is going to sound awful, but I assume that Johnny's rap sheet is much bigger than the incident at Applebee's that right. Sid mentioned. That's what I was thinking, too. Right. But but somewhere in there is going to be the details of that incident. And Eli knows what they are. So maybe I he'll see t- what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he'll tell us someday. Uh, then we go to Daniel and Amanda talking, and she's talking about the dangerous geriatric <laughs> karate instructor. First of all, she calls it a karate gym, and she does that just to piss him off, and you can see it on her face, and it works, which is very nice. And Daniel says, you know, this is a man that faked his own death twice. The fact that he's just telling her this now, and the fact that she is not afraid of Crease or that she thinks he's not a danger kind of screams to me that she has no idea what they did to her husband when he was 16 years old. Because I think any wife that knew that that had happened, that, you know, the morphed and brainwashed and reprogrammed into this killing machine as a child, um, I think she would hate Kreese probably almost as much as Daniel does. Yeah, I would she think doesn't. so. Yeah, yeah. and hmm. she doesn't, so... Um, and then call back to season one with, um, I, I miss the simple days of dicks on billboards. I thought that mm-hmm. was a great line. And oh my gosh, by the, end, yeah. by the end of the season, we all miss the simple days of dicks on billboards, don't we? We do. We do. I, I can use another uh, dick on a billboard. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it was easier to deal and, and to think that, you know, a year ago, that was like the biggest thing going on in Daniel's life. Right. Literally, quite literally. <laughs> it was the biggest source of, of pain in his entire life. Yeah, absolutely. Shoved down go, his throat. Exactly. Well, no. Okay, no, we're not going to go into detail. Oh, gosh. You're going to cut that out, right? No. <laughs> Moving on. Um, we have Crease and Johnny back at the, at the the dojo. The kids talking about the ad. Johnny and Crease watching the ad. Um, and Chris says that he should have taken care of that old bastard when he had the chance. And it, it, not to sound too much like Johnny, it's kind of like, <laughs> like you could. Yeah, but he did have a chance. And he did have a chance yeah. and he blew it. Right. Three I on mean, one. That, 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 that little old bastard kicked his ass mm-hmm. multiple times. So he can maybe... He forgets that Johnny was there to watch the old man kick his ass once. Um, But it also kind of drops a hint. If Johnny only knows that one, then he's kind of telling Johnny that there was something else that came after and that he had another chance at Mr. Miyagi and he blew it. 
because there's a whole lot of information that Johnny still does not have. And that would be everything that happened from August until December of 1985. And I think that when he gets that and he puts that all together, it's going to be like a huge revelation for him. Mm -hmm. And there's little bitty breadcrumbs dropped to him all throughout the season. If you pay attention to things that Chris says. Right. And not, uh, not, yeah, and he tells a lot of stories, too, and I'm sure he's lost track of the lies that he's told. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, but how anyone, how anyone could forget that Mogadishu is in Somalia is, that makes me kind of wonder, did this man pay attention to the world at all? Because he put Mogadishu in Rwanda. Right. Um, and there were actually, you know, movies made about Somalia and Mogadishu and the things that happened. So it, it, that's a that's a weird one for him to get confused. Um, and then, you know, in reaction to the ad, we've got the kids coming in and it, the one is like word for word. Um, the justice for Johnny crowd uh, that uh, go around doing their thing one of the things that they accuse mr miyagi of is scamming daniel to get his yard work done for free um and here these kids come in and they accuse daniel of the exact same thing that oh this is that you're not going to teach us karate it's just a scam to get your yard work done and i mean that's almost word for word from the justice for johnny handbook so that one made me laugh quite a bit and then Johnny did, did the kick the competition. He's stealing Daniel's own tagline. Um, and then he kicks the bonsai, which, of course, sets up Miyagi-Do as the competition because it really is. Um, when he describes what he wants to happen at the end of his logo, as we all know, because they did this at the end of the teaser, it describes the real logo of the show right down to the chrome. Um I love the call out to Thunderstruck because Thunderstruck is played, I swear, at every parade of champions, at every individual sporting event in the world. Mm-hmm. Whether you're taught, you know, wrestling, karate, whatever, when you've got your parade of champions before the finals, it, they all come out to Thunderstruck every time. Um, and <clears throat> I liked him wanting to use that. I love that he says he owns the rights because he owns the cassette and it's in the car. He paid for it. He absolutely did. So he already <laughs> owns it. He can do whatever he wants with it. Lynn still has Johnny's sign. When he goes outside, you know, and she's sitting there and there's the, the, are you going to take me home and the free fritters and all of this? She has, she still has the sign that he gave her to spin around sitting in her, her cart with all of her things. Mm-hmm. When we go back to Johnny and Miguel um, at the diner, I'm sure you noticed Johnny's story was playing again. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites. Beautiful, beautiful piece of music. Uh, February 4th, 2002 was a Monday. I went and looked it up just to see. Then the ice frame comes out. We go back to when we go to Valley Fest and we've got Daniel setting up. And he's talking to the kids and he pulls the ice frame out. And I got so excited. Yes. Uh, talk about averting a trope and breaking my heart, though. um for some reason the people in the crowd have on t-shirts that say all valley staff festival interesting i am some of them are the background cobras too yeah i I, all valley festival staff i could see 
but All Valley Staff Festival just kind of it, it seemed a little off. Um, yeah, was very happy to see that Sam and Robbie do have the bonsai patch on the back of their gi, which I assume means that Daniel is having these mass produced somewhere, at least on a small scale, mass produced somewhere. Confirmation of a theory that I have personally had since 1986. Daniel has had weapons training. He does know how to use them um, because not knowing how to use weapons almost got him killed. And I've, right. I've, you know, thought for 34 years, just I, I thought that Mr. Miyagi's logical next step, the very next thing he should have done the very next day was teach Daniel how to use weapons. Yeah. So that the next time someone invited him to use one, he knew what he was doing. He obviously, right. <laughs> he, yeah, he's not going to get murdered by one because he swings it wild. Um, the shot itself, the way that it's set up and framed with the backlit bonsai, um, with the orange shining through it. And I think I mentioned this in the trailer uh, analysis, and it's something that, that spoke to me well enough that when I was, you know, doing the video where I'm flashing back and forth between Daniel's past and, and Daniel's present, that these are the two scenes I matched up that actually very, very much reminded me of the silhouette of Daniel and Mr. Miyagi meditating behind the bonsai uh, from Karate Kid 3 mm. when he's trying to deprogram his child and turn him back into Daniel again. Yeah. Um, Easter egg fan shout out. Hello, Donald. You look awesome. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Yay. Don our our uh, friend of the show, Donald Rice, a.k.a. Uh, one of the uh, the guys behind Cobra Kai Network, yeah, made it on that episode uh, as a as a background at the All Valley Fest. So, congrats, man! Very very jealous. And not just background; he got a couple foreground shots too, where it's just him pumping his fist. Yeah. and I that's yeah. <laughs> awesome. Cobra Fantastic. Kai, Cobra Kai, yeah, yeah, you see him right there, very clear. Yes, and the the very last thing is when at the end of the Valley Fest demonstration, Miguel looks at Johnny and says, Sensei, you did it. And Johnny says, we did it. And right. Daniel at the end of the Karate Kid, of course, the last That's line right. of the movie is Daniel yelling, we did it. That's right. Um, those are all wonderful. Um, couple Since we're on the subject of Easter eggs, there's a couple that uh, I kind of want to bring up, one of which you did bring up in the previous episode. Uh, so I'm actually going to go ahead and read this email real quick because it's um, it relates to it. Uh, this email comes from Erica M. She says, hey guys, big fan, great, great job you are doing. So the other framed photo in Daniel's home dojo is a huge deal. It's, is it, tell me how you pronounce it, Shoujin? Shoujin. Shoujin Miyagi, the founder of Goju Ryu Karate. Uh, the original Karate Kid scripts never directly revealed the karate lineage of Miyagi, but I'm sure Marita's character's last name was enough for the true martial artist to make an educated guess. Robert Mark Kamen was a badass martial artist training in NYC. You'll definitely want to read this interview with him, which she provides a couple links, one of which is also the wiki page for Mr. Miyagi. I'm a lifelong martial artist thanks to seeing Karate Kid when I was in kindergarten in 1986. 
Cobra Kai is so great beyond my wildest imagination. Hashtag Team Miyagi Do, Erica from NYC. So thanks, Erica. Um, yeah, Rihanna, you pointed that out. When we record the feedbacks, the Easter eggs, and the reviews, a lot of times they're all broken up and done different days. So in the review, for those that have forgotten, I mistook the photograph of one Shoujin Miyagi for uh, Fumio Damura, uh, the the stunt um, double for uh, Pat Morita in the Credit Kid movie. So that was my mistake. Uh, but you kind of agreed that they have a striking resemblance. So that's who I thought it was. I was incorrect. I have two huge Karate Kid fans uh, that pointed that out. So um, thank you for the, the, the both of that. When you came on the show to talk about it, I thought you meant one of the other pictures. You probably said photograph, but obviously in my mind, I thought the photograph was who it was. That's why I thought it was one of the other drawings that you were referring to. So my mistake. Absolutely. In your defense, I said picture. So it could be either. Yeah, it could be either. Uh, so that's the email there. And then the second one was just dropped on us recently. Uh, for anybody that is following either of the big three on social media, they did say, hey, we're going to go on Dave Navarro's Dark Matter Radio. Um, and this was an Easter egg that was dropped. Now, I didn't, uh, I had not had, I had not listened to the episode at the time, but uh, Rick, 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 you know, he messaged me. He's like, hey, there's an Easter egg they talked about, but I don't get the reference. And then he told me and I felt like an idiot because I got it immediately. He said, real genius. So do you have any thoughts on this before I continue? Because you do know what it is. I, I do know exactly what it is now. Um, and I know that it took me entirely too long <laughs> to figure out what the hell you were talking about and why this was, you know, is such a big deal. It's kind of a point of pride with me because Rick had messaged me about it last night, too. And he's like, do you want to know? And I said, no, I want to find it myself. <laughs> um I'm not listening to anyone else's podcasts. I'm not watching any of the Easter egg videos on YouTube. Nothing. It, 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 with me, it's a big thing. What can I find in here? What reminds right. me of these things? This, this is, this is Brianna's Easter eggs, not what Brianna, what Easter eggs Brianna can find elsewhere. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And this one, I mean, never even occurred to me because these two names are so common. Right. And we just had talked about, you know, um, that we've got, uh, we've got multiple Ricks and we've got multiple Mikes and we've got two Johns as main characters. So <laughs> having two people named Chris and Mitch didn't really mean all that much to me because it was a movie I saw once 20 years ago. Right. So for those that did not hear the podcast, they don't go into detail, but I believe it was Josh Heald that actually uh, mentions that they're surprised that nobody had uh, figured this out yet. Um, so I didn't only, not until after I heard The Real Genius Connection. So Chris is played by Khalil Everidge and Mitch is played by Aiden Minx, um, you know, on Cobra Kai. So Mitch and Chris are both the two lead characters from Real Genius. 
It's a movie I reviewed on Podstalgic, one of my favorite 80s movies, has one of my favorite 80s songs at the very end by Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Um, I interviewed Gabriel Jarrett because I had reviewed Real Genius. Gabriel Jarrett, who plays Mitch, was in The Karate Kid Part 3, who got his nose broken by Daniel at the dance, at the disco. It wasn't a disco in 1985. It was a dance club. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. We had, so, we had murdered disco before 1985. Uh, I, I guess when I say the disco, I don't mean an actual disco, but I, I guess, you know, just like kind of what some people refer to a club as. I lived through the 70s. I'm still traumatized by the word disco. <laughs> I happen to like that music. I love ABBA and Bee Gees. Uh, but anyway, uh, so, so that's where I kind of geeked out when I – you know, kind of like, oh, that, there's the connection right there. Mitch and Chris from Real Genius. Gabriel Jarrett was in the Karate Kid Part 3. I interviewed him, and I felt like a dope that and, – and again, you mentioned that these names are kind of common. So it was – you know, I, I wasn't going to get it without any kind of like nudge, nudge, wink, wink. One thing that when we were talking about this this afternoon, one thing that I did say, if they had named those two characters Chris and Jake – that would have been an Easter egg for another Ralph Macchio movie. That one I absolutely would have gotten. Yeah. But Chris and Mitch, no. They're yeah, very common names. You know, if uh, if at some point and maybe I missed it, um, you know, if somebody was called a genius or you know something like another reference, maybe I would have gotten it. Uh, but the other cool thing is on the topic of real genius, Yuji Okamoto was also in that movie as a character by the name of Fenton. Uh, obviously, he plays Chosen from The Credit Kid Part 2, also another actor that we uh, interviewed on this podcast. So if you're a newer listener, we interviewed Chosen. And if you go back and listen to our review of The Credit Kid Part 3 and The Next Credit Kid, in there, I do play a little snippet from Gabriel Jarrett's interview on my other show, Podstalgic, where he talks about filming The Credit Kid Part 3 and... Uh, what Ralph did for him while he himself was sick as a dog. So um, it, w- it was a very fun interview. That was a big surprise to me. I was like, oh, my God, he was in Credit Kid Part 3. So I had to talk about that. And this is way before Cobra Kai. I, th- I knew that was going to be a thing. It, you know, I was just at that point on the podcast, I just happened to be going through the Credit Kid movies with Tom, who was then just a an acquaintance. You know, so now he is my co-host here, you know, a Cobra Kai companion. Right. And and one of the other things when I was desperately searching for some kind of a connection um, to real genius, we've also got six degrees of Ralph Macchio going on because <laughs> Val Kilmer is also in real genius. And he, of course, was in Top Gun with Tom Cruise, who, of course, That's was right. in The Outsiders with Ralph Macchio. So. Yeah, and we actually um, kind of talked a little bit about Top Gun with the volleyball beach scene, you know, at the beginning with with Hawk Moon <laughs> and Dimitri. So maybe not be a reference, but, you know, we did talk about that too. You know what, though? The 80s, everything in the 80s is, like, tied together in some way. Yeah. Because you had, like, 12 actors under the age of 25 that were in everything, um, Ralph was one of them. Tom Cruise was one of them. Um, Molly Ringwald was one of them. And, you know, she comes up later in the season. It, it, anything that you call back to in the eighties, you can end up relating to the karate kid in some way, shape or form. And I think that's pretty awesome because that puts my entire childhood on display. Yeah. 
I think that's amazing. And again, the 80s is the best era ever. So. Absolutely. It's even better <laughs> if you lived through it, too. Yeah. Uh, okay. So now we will get into the feedback thread. Uh, these feedback were left in our group page. If this is something you're interested in doing uh, for future review of our episodes or even feedback for anything, uh, you know, future content that we will do, just go on Facebook, search for our group, period. TV AMB group, and you spell it the words period. So we'll go ahead and alternate here. Uh, starting at the top, why don't you go ahead and start with the first one? All right, Amy S. My God, Johnny and Miguel in that diner. Johnny trusts and loves Miguel so much, and Miguel loves and respects Johnny. That scene was beautiful. Also, I really like Moon and Dimitri together. I enjoy that they might actually be friends even when Hawk isn't around. Yeah. Yeah, you, you know, um, Moon and Dimitri did play. We didn't see this in the episode, but we have the behind the scene, you know, tidbits, uh, having interviewed Hannah Keppel and also Gianni uh, DiCenzo, that Dimitri and Moon were also playing I Spy in the gymnasium during the tournament. Really? That's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, and I... Um, I, I, we spoke with Hannah first, so... I believe she tried to say that she won, and I think Gianni tried to say he won. So I think there was a little back and forth between the two uh, when trying to defend the other. Right. All right. Uh, Okay, the next one comes from Robert H. What I noticed mostly in the demonstration scene, and this season in general, it's the first season or film in the franchise not to feature Daniel's iconic headband. Hmm. Interesting. It's in the box at the dojo. Ah. Um, I would assume, anyway, because the box that he got it out of in season one is at the dojo. I noticed that he never wears it, too, and I want to know why. There's got to be a reason for that. Because there are certain things that always happen in Karate Kid properties. Daniel always gets his ass kicked. Daniel always wears the headband, and Daniel's always got the bonsai tree on his back. Well, two of those things didn't happen this season at all. So right. I I don't, there's got to be a reason for it. And the headband's a big one. Yeah, it absolutely is. It's very iconic to his image. Um, I, I think uh, I think you have another question drafted up in uh, on, on Twitter now for the uh, next yes. Q&A. Yeah. The ever-growing drafts. <laughs> you know what, <laughs> though i've I've been i've I've been asking them for a year where his happy is, and every time I've asked like six times, and it's never been answered. And I asked about the Ford, and every time I ask them about where certain things have gone, those questions never get answered. So Interesting. you ask them where the headband <laughs> went, and maybe he'll answer and tag you. you. Okay, maybe. All right. <laughs> Possibly. You'll, you'll have to remind me ne- next time, just in case. I'll try to draft one up as soon as we get off. But okay. 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 All right. Uh, Dorian T, back in the game by Airborne, blasting during the entrance at the Valley Fest was the best. I must say I was disappointed to see Daniel not getting the chance to break the ice, literally and figuratively. Definitely feel like he would have won the crowd over. Um, when I was talking earlier in, in the Easter eggs about the talk about, you know, talk about subverting your trope, not letting Daniel break the ice, uh, subverted that trope like 
crazy because it's so obvious, right? Because we've got yeah. all the, the, the preseason photos coming out with Daniel standing next to the ice. And we've got it in the trailer with Daniel standing. And he never gets to touch it. And then the first time of thousands that I cried watching this season was as Daniel and the kids walk away and the ice is melting. Yeah. Yeah. And it actually made me cry. I was so upset that he didn't get to break that ice. I felt like an idiot. Your tears were dripping just like the ice. Yes, yeah. they were. And I felt like a oh. moron. But it's two <laughs> in the morning, you know, so I can give myself a little bit of leeway on Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree with that. It was late. Yes. Um, the next one comes from Mike P. Sensei Kreese, Karate Master, Audio Visual Specialist. Is there anything this man cannot do? Hashtag more sparks. <laughs> you know what, though? He was right. They needed more sparks. They did. They did. And I think they got him, you know? And, and uh, I think it was a success, I would say. I mean, everybody and their mom was filming it. Literally, everyone and their mom. Nicole's mom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Her mom was definitely <laughs> filming it. Yeah. Um, Jonathan H. Wish Johnny and company would have broke Daniel's ice blocks. Mm. Hi, Jonathan. I usually like you. I don't like you right now. Yeah. That, I disagree with that one, too. That's a... Uh, that I would not like to see. I, um... Well, I can see where he's coming from, because that would have been, like, the ultimate in your face. But I think that is a little bit too confrontational, even for Johnny to do. Um, he's more of a sneaky, sly little... You know, he's he's going to do things to get under Daniel's skin, but he's not going to do anything to overtly try to hurt him at this point. Um, and Daniel would not do anything to overtly try to hurt Johnny either. They, they pick at each other constantly, but they're not actually trying to cause each other real pain anymore. Right. Maybe um, maybe if we had like them... Kind of do the Cobra Kai marching thing, you know, uh, passing by the Miyagi uh, demonstration, and maybe Hawk wants to take a swing at it and get stopped. You know, then it kind of foreshadows what may happen. Because I don't know, I we haven't seen the rest of the episodes, right? So um, uh, that that may be yeah, a little foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, the, the 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 foreshadowing in this episode is not quite so heavy once we get to episode four. There's more foreshadowing than Easter eggs. There's more calls forward than backward in that one. Um, but at this point, you know, we're all we're we're still just kind of looking back and setting things up. Right, right. And ending in a very painful place. But I I, I don't think Johnny would have. I, first of all, I don't know if Johnny could, but I'm guessing he can since he can put his fist through concrete. But I don't think he would do anything that overt. To challenge Daniel right. in public because that would not have ended well. They would not have been fighting in whatever episode that we haven't seen yet that they fight in. They would have been fighting in this one. So I agree with all of that. Uh, so thank you everybody for leaving us uh, those feedback in the group page. And that concludes the feedbacks and the Easter eggs. Thank you, Brianna, for sitting in for this segment. Thank you for having me, as always. I enjoy it tremendously. All right. So we'll uh, catch you next time, and we'll go ahead and wrap up this episode. All right. Sounds good. Talk to you later. 
So um, as always, we want to thank everybody for, uh, you know, supporting us, checking out this episode. You know, t- I, I know some people have been sharing our you know podcast with some of their friends and some of their friends are joining the groups and all that. So thank you to everybody that is uh, spreading the word. Um, you know, we mentioned in the uh the, the episode two review that yes season three has been uh green lit so we're all very excited about it um if if instagram is your thing follow the right people and you will find uh you'll you'll find you know whether somebody's going to work and things of that nature i recently saw one of the writers you know caption one of their pictures you know first day back at the dojo so i was just like hmm is this hmm. are they back to work you know things like that so if that's your thing twitter and instagram are very good sources uh and you know just find the right people to follow yep. um, keep your ear to the ground folks you'll uh, be surprised what you turn up yeah absolutely and there are other ways you can keep your ear to the ground joining our group you know on facebook just type in www period cobra kai period tv a and b group and you spell out the words period that is also in the show notes um for easier access because that's a lot of words and a lot of letters uh but (laughs) on instagram we're at cobra kai podcast and on Twitter, we are at Cobra Kai Pod. So give us a follow there for uh, for everything that we share. Uh, now, Tom, do you do anything else uh, where listeners can check you out at? Uh, well, I am the co-host of a dormant but soon-to-be-returning show called Jake and Tom Conquer the World. Uh, I'm getting ready to uh, make my annual pilgrimage to the Motor City Comic Con with Jake. And uh, I'm hoping to bring back uh, at least a a heck of a good show out of that. Uh, If you want to listen to us, you can find us anywhere you find a podcast, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, you name it. Chances are you'll find Jake and Tom there. If you want to get in touch with me, the easiest way is going to be on Twitter. You can find me at the Drunken Dork. Uh, yes, the name that Billy and Ralph laughed so much at was mine. Uh, on Facebook, you can find me on our group page, or uh, there's a group page for uh, my show. It's called Jake and Tom Conquer the Group. Yep. For me, you guys can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Podstalgic. It's a retro movie review podcast. Uh, Tom joined me, I don't know, gosh, a year and a half ago where we reviewed all four Karate Kid movies, and that's why we do this Cobra Kai show. Um, so plenty of things we do new releases every now and again as well. Uh, but with uh, everything going on with Cobra Kai, I might be, you know, absent from some of those episodes just because I'm here, you know, doing all these extra stuff for uh, the Cobra Kai fans. So thanks again, for everybody, for checking out this episode. Until next time, remember, send it to the internet. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Court and Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Court and Parts shows, visit courtemparts.com. Hi, uh, how's it going? Good, Susan. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Oh, living the dream. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're uh, obviously happy to hear from you again. 
Well, I appreciate you guys, you know, caring enough to want to talk to me again. Oh, oh, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I had a great time the last time around. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, obviously, uh, we, we didn't get enough of uh, Lynn in our opinion, so we definitely would like, you know, hear from you yourself and, and any input you had. I, I really appreciate that support, guys. I really do. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, we loved a little bit, but it was just like, ah, oh, it was such a tease that we're like, oh, why couldn't <laughs> we get any more? You know? I know, I was actually <laughs> supposed to be in another episode. I think it was episode eight. And then I guess they went in a different direction because, you know, they, they um, you know, canceled me or whatever. So I don't, I don't know what happened. So, you know, that was disappointing. But hopefully they're they're thinking of Lynn as they're writing because, um, you know, a lot of the fans have been so supportive and, and um, you know, feeling the same way that you guys did, that they would like to have seen more of Lynn. So, yay, well, Lynn. When, when we talked to the big three, I mean, the impression I got from them is that they're fans of yours as well. I know. Mm-hmm. And they, they have always told me that. And, you know, it's, so hopefully we'll see, guys. Yeah. And, okay. and in all honesty, I was happy just to get what we did get because I, I kind of went into this figuring that there was going to be a lot added to the pot. And I wasn't sure what was going to be carried over and what wasn't. So when I saw you on screen, I just lit up. Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Lynn lives another day, so I'm grateful for it because, I mean, honestly, they didn't have to include that scene. So I'm I'm grateful to, to, to have made it, you know. Oh, yeah. I just want to thank you guys again for all your support. Oh, it no. Thank you. world to me. It does. <laughs> It just means the world to me. Oh, you know, I I genuinely appreciate hearing that, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. That that makes me feel warm inside. (laughs) Thank (laughs) y'all. 